the king's important officer, desperation for a sick child, and one o'clock in the afternoon. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter, and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. doesn't matter who you are, rich, poor, work for yourself, work for someone else. doesn't matter if you've gone to school for many, many years or not. doesn't matter where you live. It's one thing that all parents have in common. They love their children. They want the best for their children. And when their children get sick, they may feel helpless and they want something to be done to make their children better. In today's lesson, in today's Bible story, we read about a man whose son was very, very ill. In fact, he was close to death. This was a desperate situation. And this is found in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. This man was an important man, wasn't he? Yes. Some translations will use the term nobleman. Others would say a royal official. And so here this man, he's not named, but we can know a lot about him because he's a royal official. He was one of King Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great. This is King Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, who was now the king in Judea and this whole region, Galilee. And so he was an official in Herod's court. So he was a political person. He had a lot of authority and a lot of responsibility. And this goes to show us that there's some things we just can't fix. You can spend all the money. You can take a child to the best hospital. You can do all the tests. But there are some things that are just out of our control. And no matter how important this man was, he could not make his child well. And our heart goes out to him. As parents, we can relate. This man is from Capernaum. That's where Jesus' home base was. And Jesus had been down south in Jerusalem, and he had gone back to Cana. That's where our story begins, with Jesus and Cana. And he was aware of this. So news travels fast. This man was aware that Jesus was in Cana. He may have heard about Jesus before, since they're both from Capernaum, or both were in Capernaum. But Jesus does travel around. Sometimes he's based in one place. Sometimes he travels around. Maybe he went to Jerusalem for a feast. But here he is in Cana on Google Maps, looking that up. That's uh, 35 kilometers away from Capernaum, almost 22 miles. And if you're walking, I'm sure the conditions were a little harder then. So this was not just a little trip to go and find Jesus. This, This father really wanted the best for his child. And even though he was a political elite, he didn't send his servants. He went himself. I find that significant that he went himself. And he probably tried to get to Jesus as fast as he could because he's desperate. So when he finds Jesus, he puts that before him. And it says he begged Jesus. Can you imagine? Here's this official, this important royal official of a king. And here is Jesus, who has no official capacity. It's just what he's teaching. He's known by his reputation. He's known by the signs and miracles that he's done. And here is this royal official begging to please heal my son. 
Jesus responds to him in verse 48. It says, Jesus said to him, You people must see signs and miracles before you will believe in me. But this man surprises us because if you read on in verse 49, the officer said, Sir, come before my child dies. And then Jesus responds by saying, Go, your son will live. And then it said the man believed what Jesus told him and went home. So I find this remarkable about this man. Even though Jesus said, you have to see signs and miracles, and maybe for the other people there that was true, but for this man, he believed in Jesus. He believed in Jesus' word, not just what he could see Jesus do. He believed in what Jesus said. Now, as a mother, I have to say, that is a, a real belief. Because it's one thing to want something to be true and to hope, but to actually turn around and go back home. He really believed it. As he was going back, he was met along the way. Don't know where, but along the way, his servants. He met his servants. And so we can imagine him getting to Cana as fast as he can because he's desperate And now his servants meet him on the way because they are coming to tell him the good news that his son is well. Now, the servants didn't know what had happened, and so they were making their way to him as fast as they could to tell him the good news. Probably like, oh, it's okay now. You don't need to go to Jesus. He's well. Everything's okay. And there must have been a lot of joy and relief, but there's also something else about this man. He wants to know a few details Because he believed Jesus, he believes his servants that his son is better, but he wants to investigate that little bit more. And so he says, well, what time did my son get better? What time of day was it? And these servants tell him, oh, it was about one in the afternoon. And he knew because it was at that time that Jesus said, your son, go, your son will live. So one o'clock in the afternoon in Cana, Jesus said, go, your son is well. And at the same time, at one o'clock, all the way, 35 kilometers away in Capernaum, his son was well at that exact moment. So Jesus does not have to be in proximity. Just his word across distance is enough. He's not hindered by distance. You don't have to be next to Jesus for him to bless you. Distance is not an issue. And that's a good thing to know, because we're probably these days more distant from each other ever before. And I know the fact that, I mean, David and I, we, you know, we're missionaries. We live in New Zealand, but a lot of our family, almost all of our family lives back in America. That's a long way. That's a big distance. And when I read this, I'm comforted because I know when I'm praying for my family, Jesus can take care of them. God can take care of them, even though I'm way over here and they're way over there. That doesn't matter when you talk about God, because that distance means nothing. At the end of the story, when he hears the news that his son is well, he finally gets back to Capernaum to home. And it says, so the man and all the people of his house believe in Jesus. So this is the second time in this story about this man's belief. At first, he believed Jesus when Jesus says, go, your son will live. And now at the end, after it's confirmed that it was at one o'clock 
the same time he heard Jesus say those words, that his son, the fever left his son, says that he and his family believed. What's implied is this royal official and his family became followers of Jesus. They gave their allegiance to Jesus, and so they became one of his disciples too. You know, as we're reading through that, even now, David, I've just noticed something different. There is a lot of trust in this story. I mean, the official trusts his servants to take care of his son while he's away. He trusts Jesus when Jesus says, go, your son is well. And he asks his servants what time this happened. He trusts that they're going to tell him the truth. His servants hear all about this and what has happened. They trust their their boss, you know, and say, oh. Okay, this happened, and that led them just hearing about that sign, that miracle. They trusted his word, too, and they trusted Jesus in the end and followed Jesus. Right, exactly. Reading through this passage, I'm struck again how we're talking about being in all these different places. At the end, it says that, This is the second miracle that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. I'm automatically, my mind's going to, oh, there are other miracles. Which order? Things get a little jumbled in my mind. Do you find that? Yeah, it can be a little confusing. The four Gospels talk about these different stories of Jesus. They're not always in the same order. And we learn at the very end of John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 25, where this is the last verse, it says, that Jesus did many of the things. And I suppose if everything that Jesus did was recorded, all the books in the world wouldn't be able to hold it all. So we learn here that these gospel writers, they were very selective in the stories they chose to tell about Jesus. So Jesus was doing a lot more than what we're reading about. And so when we're reading these stories, we're trying to fit them in a certain order. And it's not always easy to put them in a certain order. It can be a little confusing. So Mary, in teaching this story to children, what are some ideas or what are some things that would be really helpful to children to know and to believe and to take with them? When I look at these verses, it seems to me like if you look at verse 46 and then at 54, it's like everything else is sandwiched between. It's like those are the two pieces of bread and the rest is the sandwich in between because it's the setting. This Where this is taking place, this is taking place in Cana. He's come from Capernaum. And it refers back to the other miracle that Jesus did in Cana. Here's how it outlined. I think I would put, I'd go ahead and throw 46 in there. So I'd say 46 through 49 That would be point one, and I'd just say the official going to Jesus and asking for healing for his son. And then my second point would be the actual healing, and that would be verses 50 and 51. And then the remainder, 52 through 54, I think I'm going to call that the debrief. And I say that because often these kind of things happen to us, too. You know, something happens— And then we want to go back and look at it and draw more meaning from it. So that's what he's doing. So his son is well, the problem solved. But he wants to say, okay, but what time was he well? There's more to this. I can just think about so many things in my life that it maybe takes me years later. And I look back and I think, oh, that's what God was doing. And I didn't know it at the time, but I start putting that together 
And in a way, he does that immediately. And that's good. But what are some things we can do in an adult Bible class? There are several questions we could ask. How far can you walk in one day? Well, that might be a good question to get people talking, and because a lot of walking going on here in this story. And I would ask in the class, someone Google a map of Israel and just look at distances. How far is it from Capernaum to Cana? Let them Google that. And then how far is it from Jerusalem to Cana? Jesus had traveled from Jerusalem to Cana. And those are three places that help clarify the story. We can visualize where these are. I think it helps fill in some details for us. Now, right away, I'm just going to question. If you look that up on Google Maps, are those places, do they all have the same names today? I know Jerusalem does. Jerusalem does. Capernaum does. But if you type in Cana, a Cana will come up. It's Kafir Kana, a little different, but it, it's the traditional place of Cana in the Bible. Those are with K's, right? With K's, Instead yes. of the C of Cana. Right. That's really good for the students, you know, children or adults that, that are fidgety or, you know, have a hard time just sitting, looking at a page. I mean, that's giving them something to actually investigate while they're studying, and it sometimes sparks interest, really. And you can also, on a PowerPoint, provide a map of this area with Capernaum on it, with Cana on it, with Jerusalem on it, as you're talking about the story. You know, that helps me because I like to see things visually. I use PowerPoint most of the time when I'm teaching, and so a map can just add some depth to your class. So, Mary, what about children? What are some helpful things for children or to help them to understand this story and apply the story? Well, I think for application, you could take this a few different ways, depending on how you wanted to approach this. I mean, you could talk about belief and trust and how much this official trusted Jesus and his words, and then you could go on to talk about that same concept. Do we believe Jesus? Because we don't see him doing a miracle right in this room, but do we believe what he says. And then, of course, that leads on to the Bible, and that's the written Word of God. And you could take the class in that direction. Another way I think could be really good is considering how distant so many of us are and how disconnected. I find even in my own Bible class here, the children I associate with, we've got grandparents in South Africa, Dubai, America, Australia. Kids have been lived in Ukraine. We've got kids that have lived or, or know people in a lot of different places, and they are familiar with the map. And so just having a world map has been really good. And the children go and put a post-it or a sticker or something on all the places where they know people. And then we pray for them because I want them to think about that. It didn't matter that Capernaum was so far away from Cana. Jesus could still work in the life of this child. And in the same way, we need to pray because Jesus can still work in the life of people. That distance doesn't matter. That makes it real for the kids, I think. That's great. I think a good memory verse, when I say a memory verse, this is just something the children can work on and learn, not just for the sake of memorizing, but for the sake of bringing that up in mind later on when something happens. It's really good that children have 
a library of God's Word in their heart that they can draw upon. And I think this would be a good time to memorize John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 in the International Children's Bible that reads, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's quite a a lot in a memory verse, depending on the age of a child. But you could work on that little bit at a time. Maybe if you're covering these lessons about Jesus over time, you could just work on that and they could keep doing it. Children can memorize actually a whole lot. (laughs) My guess would be that if you had a contest between adults and children, I bet children can learn those two verses faster than adults could. Probably. And learning it is one thing, but just dwelling on it, keep bringing it up and talking about it. Because here we go again, this official, this very important man, the king's official, he too believed. And over and over and over in the life of Jesus, you find people believing. Some believe because they see these things, some because they hear about these things. But all of these signs that Jesus has done, they do lead to belief. They help us in our building our faith and our belief in Jesus and his power. And the purpose of belief ultimately is that we can have life in his name. A good question to ask in a class, in fact, for myself, why do I believe in Jesus? In the story, when this man came to Jesus He begged Jesus to heal his son, come to Capernaum to heal his son, and Jesus responded by, you people must see signs and miracles. Well, this man did not, but he believed. And so I need to ask myself the question, why do I believe in Jesus? Because I have not seen Jesus perform signs and miracles, but Jesus performed signs and miracles, and it's recorded in the gospel like the gospel of John. It's recorded in the other gospels and recorded from people who have seen these things and reporting on them. And at the very end of this gospel, you know, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I touch his side. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen me, but yet believe. And that's me. There's a lot of reason to believe in Jesus. That's right. We're not there in those times. It's kind of a a special thought to think about actually being there and sitting right beside Jesus and touching him. But now I have his word. And I can believe that. And it's just as true now as it was then. Right. I love this story in the New Testament. I really enjoy listening to a different kind of person coming to Jesus. We've had people from all different walks of life who turn to Jesus. It's not just poor people. It's not just fishermen. It's sometimes the educated, sometimes the rich. All of these different people come to Jesus. And I just pray as you look out at the children that you're teaching, that you can think about what it would have been like for this father and what it would have been like for this son to grow up hearing this story. And I pray that you can bless the children in your class. And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. 
Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.